0: Podcast is
1: part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome back to another Ken Seven Podcast. Uh, we've got a football chat, and joining me is uh, Ryan Williams, ex-pro footballer, and Scott Elliot. Boys, welcome. We've got um, quite a few things, not an awful lot going on at the moment because we've had loads of games cancelled and stuff. But we'll um, we'll have a little look through what's sort of topical. Bit about the Chelsea game, we've obviously looks like we're going to have a game on Sunday, and um, you know just chat generally about all things Liverpool. Um, Scott, I'll come to you. I don't know whether you went to the Chelsea game, but um, you know what was your summary of that game? Because it was it, it was just nuts. Uh, it really was.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, last minute um, we were due to go away, which got cancelled through COVID a little bit last minute. Um, so I didn't end up going to the game, unfortunately. Crazy game to watch, wasn't it? Jesus. I mean, what an open game. It was like a cup game. It was like a cup semi-final, end-to-end, just all over the place. I mean, it was exciting to watch. As a Liverpool fan, it was a bit frustrating at times being 2-0 up again and letting that lead slip. But the, the boys, look, they give everything they could. And that's all you can ask for. Chelsea are a top side. Yeah, you can't take that away from them. And, you know, on... on on a normal day, a draw away at Stanford Bridges and a pair
1: of results. In, well, in years gone by, I mean, United probably won the league with seven defeats and we've had two this season. Um, Ryan, just coming to you, mate, um, yeah. if, you, if you cast your mind back to the game, I looked at it and the first bit of decent football we played, it was so frantic, but the first bit of decent football we played was the second goal, I thought. What did you think? So, for me, I found the game such a tactical battle. Um, you know,
0: I was looking at, I kind of feel like, when I look at Liverpool, we are pressing monsters, but I feel like we got out-pressed. Um, you know, you look at the way Chelsea set up, they were, they were double marking us, they were pressing with high intensity, um, and they were forcing mistakes. Now, for me personally, I felt that we'd really, really missed that, that control in the game that someone like Thiago Alcantara brings to it. He's very, very press resistant and he can sort of dictate the you know, dictate the tempo in the game. Very, very interesting watching the game. Um, I mean, after the game I, I had to look online to sort of to sort of try and get a bit of a, a bit of a breakdown, see the numbers. And it was interesting to me that the you know, the passes per defensive action from from Chelsea, they were on seven point seven two, whereas Liverpool was twelve point four seven, which is the lowest into City game in October. So for me, You know, something we are known for is is pressing, is dominating the game, controlling the game and I thought we really struggled, especially in terms of getting our full-backs on the ball, like normally you'll see like Trent and you know, Robertson really dictate the game from them deep full-back positions but it was hard to get, you know, to sort of get them that time on the ball and when they did, because the press was coming so strong, it's like when you're playing into midfield the lads in midfield didn't have much time on the ball either, so then we're we're going more direct, more forward than you know than we than, than we typically do. So for me, that was a really interesting thing. Obviously, when I seen us go 2-0, I was buzzing like we're getting away with one here. Um, and one of them did come from a bit more of a direct play like when uh, Chalbert, you know, obviously made the mistake. But um, you know, similar to what Scott said. At the end of the day, we've come away with a two-two draw from Stamford Bridge, which is a good result. It's obviously made a little bit difficult in terms of City are starting to get a bit of distance between us right now, but. You know,
1: I'm sure you know there's going to be lots, lots, of twists and turns. during this season, like just on the just on us being two nil up, I remember saying I was watching it with my father-in-law, who's a Man United fan, and I, I was we were two nil up, and I went, we haven't got a low block in us. You know, like if you remember the Hooli team back years ago, I remember we go one 0 up, and I'd be utterly confident we were going to win the, league, the the game because you just knew that we had that low block, and there was just nothing getting through. Scott, do you think that some that's something that we need to develop? You know, in-game management where we go right. That's the the situation now requires us to have a low block. Do you think that's something we should have, or do you just just think that that's not Jurgen Klopp's way? Even um. just even within the game for like twenty minutes, right, boys? Let's low block it for twenty minutes. Just 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 shut everything down. I mean, it's not something we can do, obviously. But it's it, it, do you think it's something we should be looking at?
2: Yeah, sorry. With the with the low block, uh, the best, our best form of defence as attack, it always has been. I think you've got to give credit to Chelsea. They play five at the back, pushing the two fullbacks up on Simicass and Trent to stop them playing, and then they just overloaded us in midfield. And when we we're a little bit open, yeah, you know, the out ball wasn't there from Virgil to Mo like it normally is. But saying that, look, we're looking into this too much. I think we've drawn two two with Chelsea. Um, and we could have won the game. The chances we had, yes, it's frustrating. We're 2-0 up and we've, we've, people will say we've dropped two points. Well, if we would have gone there and we drew 0-0, nil, 1-1, nil, one, one, or we were 2-0 down and we come back to 2-2, two, two, everyone would be buzzing, right? So we've got, we've, got to take, we've got to put things into perspective and say, do you know what, Chelsea are a top side. When you're talking top five teams in Europe, Liverpool, Chelsea are both in that. So it's two great teams going head to head. You've got to give Chelsea a bit of credit for how they played tactically. But again, you know, at two nil, Mo's gone through, hasn't he? And he had a chance to square the ball.
0: Mm-hmm. There's,
2: there's no criticism of him, but if he squares the ball and we go three nil up, we probably win the game. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. everyone's buzzing. Mm-hmm. So let's not get too downbeat.
1: I think the problem yeah. is though, Ryan, not to you. The problem is is that Man City have changed the debate. The context yeah. around it has changed completely because you, you genuinely feel like you can't make a mistake. And we've just had a poor Christmas period. Obviously, we, we missed out on a game because of COVID. Then we play Leicester and we get beat 1-0. Then we play Chelsea and it's 2 all. And all of a sudden, there's this ma- massive gap. Whereas we were all thinking, we'll just stay on their coattails because the, the form before Christmas was good. And we felt like we could stay on the coattails. I think... The negative opinion comes from the fact that we now look like we're out of it. I mean, do you feel like we're out of it, Ryan?
0: No, nah, not at all. I, I, I've never, i never, i never counted out on the slightest. I mean, going back to sort of what you said earlier about the, the days when Man United used to win the league with seven defeats during the season. That's just not possible now. I think if you look at the um, the top, the top four, the top five in the Premier League now, it's on another level. It's a, you know, it's a different atmosphere. I remember when I was in. Um, when I was at Brentford, um, we used to have like a, it was like a room with like five, six, seven data analysts in there. And the numbers side of things always fascinated me in the game. And I remember going in to speak to one of them and uh, he turned around to me and said, the Premier League, he said, it's like two different leagues. He said, you've got the bottom 15 teams or the, or the bottom 14 teams. And then the top six, he said, in terms of numbers and metrics, he said, they are, they are like... A league, two leagues away from the rest of the league, he said it's unbelievable now. And I think Man City have sort of pushed it to another level as well, and, and Liverpool as well. Similar to how Scott, Scott was saying there, Liverpool and Chelsea are, you know, in the top five teams in Europe. You throw Man City into the mix. This is such a strong league where it is difficult to make mistakes. But even though the way City, City steamroll the teams that were lower than down the league, you know, it's the way they played, they just, you know, out possession. Um, I do think there's gonna be more twists and turns this year, you know what I mean? Um, Liverpool, you know, we've had a few injuries, we've had COVID, this and that, and I think we're gonna have a we're gonna have a strong finish to the season. And one thing that I think different. Listen, I don't know any of the lads personally at Liverpool or Man City, but looking from the outside in, mean, one thing that I think differentiates us to City is mentality. I think when when we're on the on the pitch, back against the walls, I always believe we can come back. You've seen it numerous times over the last couple of years, and it does seem to be a fantastic spirit amongst you know amongst the lads at Liverpool. So if City have one or two little shaky defeats, especially with what they're like in Europe, the they go out of Europe, you know, which you know Guardiola's under a little bit of pressure from above to you know take City to a place where they've never been before. They could have a wobble like, and I think they'll be poised to strike. I really do believe that.
1: Yeah, I like that. I'm a big fan of that.
2: Um, uh, yeah, sorry, just, just touching on that as well. Yeah. What I would say is, is, a month ago, when you looked at the fixtures, Spurs away, Chelsea away, Leicester away, you know, they're three, on paper, they're three tricky games. I'm not saying we shouldn't expect to win them, but new, uh, Man City had some, you know, decent fixtures yeah. we, in all games you expect to win. You yeah, know, they've got Chelsea next. If we beat Leicester, uh, sorry, if we beat Leeds, win our game is now we're nine points behind, if they lose to Chelsea and we win next weekend, all of a sudden it's six points. And like Ryan says, it's th- that's not a lot in football and we've still got to play them.
1: Yeah. The, the, um, the COVID effect that, that's going on at the moment, I mean, I, I, I believe Man City are now uh, riddled with it. And I, mean, I, I assume that they might be looking to, to cancel some, some games at the moment. Um, do you think that I mean? Are we praying for um, a COVID problem at City so that that you know they have to play with a reduced squad? Is it is it come down to that? I mean, do, do you think we can actually get the fit the season finished the way it looks at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 they're
0: going to finish the season. Um, the thing with the the thing with the likes is your the Chelsea's. The squad depth they have is massive, you know, sometimes I, I'll flick up my, um, my Sky Sports app and have a look at the, uh, you know, the squads on a Saturday and I'll be looking at the, the lads they've got on the bench, the world-class players like, um, and it's just, it's, it's sort of two different sorts of mentalities or different sorts of organisational structure in the club, but sometimes you look at Liverpool's bench and we might have one or two, three young lads who we might not have, you know, Premier League experience yet or nothing like that, and you look at cities; they have got lads on the bench here who've been playing in World Cups and, and, and all and all that sort of. It. I it shouldn't. Listen, they may probably want to use it as an excuse, but they can't be used that as an excuse for me. And um, but you know, as a Liverpool fan, ideally, you do have a bit of a wobble like. and the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If You get a bit of a, a, a fixture pile up. It's not just sort of the, the physical demands that's going to play on the squad, but you know you've got to take into account the travel, especially if it's European games, get back and and they've got to sort of prepare for the next game. you are not going to get full quality sessions in. It's going to be you're going to play. You're going to do a recovery session. You're going to probably do a tactical session for the next game and straight in. So it will be interesting. It will potentially have an effect, but surely state these squads will be able to mitigate that. One.
1: Yeah, of course. But I mean, just looking, uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll touch on January transfers in a minute. But just looking ahead, I, I've just had confirmed that. Um, it sounds like I've got inside knowledge here, but I haven't. I've just seen it on Twitter that um, Liverpool have reopened their training ground today. And I'm assuming, Scott, you'd know that anyway. So, that looks to me like the game on Sunday is going to happen. Um, they reckon that we've got six senior players available, which are basically the six that have just had COVID, plus whoever else. There's nothing been confirmed yet. Um, I mean, what did you? Scott, do you look at the game on Sunday as a uh, as a hindrance? Do you think it's a good opportunity? Well, how, 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 I mean, I'm looking forward to just seeing some football, to be perfectly honest with you, but how, how do you see
2: it? Uh, the glass has always got to be half full, isn't it? At the end of the day, you're looking at it and it's an opportunity for players that might not necessarily play. You know, Tyler Morton might get another you know, run out, etc. It's more experience. It brings these players on, doesn't it? With a few other players and... and I. I yeah, I just think it's a good opportunity. Let's go ahead with the game. We want to go ahead with the game. Don't want too many, too much of a fixture pile up with the, um, the postponements. But I, I just see it all as positive, honestly. Someone, someone's going to take something out of that game. Then players are going to take win, lose, or draw. They're going to take something out of the game to make them better.
1: That's fair enough. Um, Ryan, do you uh, do you have any in, info about Ch- Ch- Shrewsbury? I mean, I must, admit, I must admit, I don't know much about them. But uh, do you have any info about them? Yeah, so, I mean, they have got a
0: couple of lads on the team who have played against, you know, in my me, me, me career. Um, David Davis, the centre mids, a good player. You know, he, he spent time at Birmingham woman at Wolves. Solid, industrious midfielder. Experience now, he would be about 28, 29, I think. Um, Eubanks, Landau, centre off, big lad. Um, another lad who was at Wolves. I remember playing against him when he was there. Uh, um, who else have we got? But I think... The, the lad in midfield, Josh Vela, I'm sure he's a scout. So he started off at of Bolton uh, again, experienced in the league. There's a lot of there's a lot of Championship minutes in that squad. I know they're you know they're probably around mid-table in League One. And um, the manager, Steve Cotterill, isn't it? And um, so he knows the lower levels, you know the lower leagues well. um they'll be an industrious team. I think they're on a decent one of four in the last four games. You know, three wins and a the draw. Their confidence to be high. And, the you know, again, for any lad that's playing in the in the lower leagues, if you got a if you got a picture around field, that's your cup final for the season, no doubt about it, you know what I mean? Walking out so you'll never walk alone. It's an experience that not many people get the opportunity to do, so they're gonna be well fired up for it. Like um, I think it will be important for the live the, the the young lads in the in the Liverpool teams to have a little bit of experience around them, you know, to sort of supporting yep. through the game because what you don't want you don't want 11 young lads going out there together in front of 55,000 fans with the expectation of the Anfield crowd against the team that you know technically they won't be as good as the, as the Liverpool lads but they you know they will be physical they will be industrious um, and they will you know they will have that street smart about them the so you know with the, with the support of five or six you know the senior lads at Liverpool you'd like to think we'll, uh, we'll have more than enough you know to sort of to get through the game It'd probably be a little bit more of a concern if we were you know if we were playing at Trusby. you know, they'd have all yeah. the Trusby fans all behind them and stuff yeah. but, You know, being on an Anfield's always a massive advance inside.
1: Scott, do you um, has the, the FA Cup lost any its luster for you? Obviously you um you, you're an older gentleman of my of my vintage, I would say. Um, as, as the I remember the FA Cup being the be all and end all. It was fantastic. Um, you know, it was exciting when it started. It was exciting moving through the rounds. The semi final was a big day, obviously. Um, it just seems to have um, it just seems to have run right down the list of priorities. Do you feel like that?
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember cool, here and Rush scored that. Um goal against Everton. i remember running out of my garden celebrating jumping over the fence believe it or not i got over and uh you yeah, know it, it was amazing the fa cup was what it was all about wasn't it wembley came on telly at nine o'clock in the morning it was on all day to build up it was just a big glorious day now that the reality is that it's all about finances you know um but an opportunity maybe not the fa cup possibly but certainly the Carabao Cup. I'd like to see them change it to a British Cup and bring Celtic and Rangers and the Scottish teams get them involved. It would just give it a little lift.
1: Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Is. If
2: they're that British Cup, and I'm, I'm not saying look, if you're a football fan and, and you support Liverpool and Spurs are playing Celtic or Rangers, for example, or Arsenal are, it's a game that you're tuning in to watch rather than you know a, a lower league game as such. So, if, so for me, it's a great opportunity to make it a British Cup. Now, that's
0: interesting. And and I've never that, I've never heard of that before you know that, that sort of concept but that's something I would absolutely love that you know a British Cup I think it would be it would definitely be interesting for the fans I mean I know the the lower leagues in Scotland I think maybe the Championship and blow. they had a bit of a, a bit of a tournament the other year that involved the Irish teams and the, and the Welsh Premiership teams you know like TNS and um, yeah. y- you know teams like that and Connors Key ended up playing against um, Kilmarnock or something and for me I found that that interesting because you know, as, as, a, as a football fan, as a football player, you, you're always trying to sort of weigh up the different styles and the levels, you know, sort of how does the Scottish League compare to, to England? I mean, I remember having a little spell at Inverness in the SPL and it was interesting to me to, like, in my mind, I was looking at like the Celtic and Rangers, similar to like a, a championship team. The teams below were like maybe League One, League Two. But, you know, as Scottish, if we were to do like a, a, you know, a British Carabao football, I think that would be fascinating for the fans. Like, I'd, lo- I'd love to watch that.
2: Yeah, I think I think most people would. I think it would just give you that it would it would the Scottish would love it. Yeah, you imagine you're even not in Selwick Rangers because their support goes without saying it's unbelievable. Yeah. But if you're a lower league, you know, if you're if you're a Hearts for example and you're coming down to play Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, Newcastle, I mean the atmosphere is gonna be great and they're gonna sell out. It's going to be a right old buzz, isn't it? And it's going to be good to watch it. It would just bring a little bit of life back into it for me.
1: I think. I think that's a really interesting idea. And it's not something that I thought. I mean, would that be better for the Carabao, or would you go with that for the FA Cup? I mean, FA one the Cup p- even. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about the FA Cup was, I mean, my uncle um, always reckons that the FA Cup shouldn't. Ha- the one thing that would change it and make it more special again was to give a Champions League place to the FA Cup winner. And that would certainly up the stakes for it. I think one of the things for me that's disappointing in the f a Cup is when they they did the um the they redid Wembley and then they changed the semi final to wembley i mean that just that kind of ruins it for me i mean the semi final day in the f a cup you're always playing at you know aston Villa or old Trafford or or you know one of the one of the biggest stadiums in the, and that was a great day out. but if you're going to semi final at Wembley and then you go into the final at Wembley. Definitely cheapens it for me.
2: Yeah. Steve, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll,
2: yeah, it's. Um, I mean, Wembley's not as good as the Millennium Stadium anyway, is it? I mean, the atmosphere at Wembley, for me, I've been to a few cup finals and you, you go there, you can hardly hear the away fans. The acoustics are dreadful. I mean, it's really just like, it's just missing something, Wembley. It's, 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 it's not great. It's not great. But even like the FA Cup game, go back to Shrewsbury, Ryan just touched on when we played Shrewsbury before. I was at both games. Um, Harvey was involved in both games and we drew 2-2 down there. Get rid of these replays. And this is nothing to do with COVID. You imagine Shrewsbury 2-2 on that day against Liverpool in front of their own fans and it goes to penalties and they do well enough or lucky enough to win that. That would bring back the excitement in the FA Cup again. That would bring back more chance of a shock. But why are we having replays? Is that because it allows Shrewsbury to have potentially more money, you know, to help them? And I get that side of things, but it's just—it's not exciting. This replay business has got to go. Mm. Agreed, hundred percent. And especially when if you're a lower league team
0: and you're playing a Premier League team, you want to try and make the game as similar to a lower league game as you possibly can. The best chance you've got to do in that is at your home stadium. Sometimes on a bit of a bit of a messed up pitch. You know what I mean? That you're used to playing on because I know myself, I remember when I was at Morecambe and we played um we beat Wolves, knocked them out one nil, then we got Newcastle in the next round. I remember uh, Newcastle bringing about you know a couple of thousand fans down. We had all our it was packed out. And um, for 18 minutes it was nil-nil. They had the likes of Dabushi playing, Ben Arthur, I mean you know, we ended up missing two goals in the last ten minutes. But if we'd have gone to play them at St James's Park, we'd have got absolutely annihilated, big massive pitch. Beautiful, crisp, crisp carpet. they just not the ball, round us are fun. Mm-hmm. We'd, have, we'd have been done five or six notes, you know what I mean? But, but like you said, if it's a one-off tie and you can turn it into a bit of a bit of a mishmash, you've always got a chance. And that brings the excitement. I mean, do, do you remember when uh, we played Mansfield a few years back? I think we ended up winning 1-0. They, yeah. they, they were a conference team at the time. I think had scored or something like that. Those periods of game where you're looking at it and you're thinking, Oh, hang on, this is it's coming a bit of a physical battle. You know, it's hard to put two or three passes together. And it, it does make it exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean um, we've touched a bit on your career there Ryan and I, I, for those who are watching this and or listening to it and they don't know who you are it's well worth going and doing a little Google search because that's certainly what I did uh, and I know Scott's done it as well so uh, <laughs> knowledge Gary, knowledge <laughs> yeah, knowledge is <laughs> power yeah um, so I mean can we can we have a little chat through your career Ryan I mean I know Scott's got some, some questions but if you can give us a little overview of you know what what happened during your career and I mean were you, where were you at an academy? I'm assuming that was at Chester. Yeah, so yeah, so I was at Chester as a kid.
0: Um, and truth truth be told up and back. I mean, it wasn't the wasn't the greatest academy to be at. We you know we weren't a great team. There were some good, good people involved. Um my youth team coach was a fellow called Simon Davis so actually ended up going on to uh, manage Anderlecht for a little bit when uh, you know with the uh, Benton Company. Um you know he was he was a great fella. Um from there the, the club ended up going bust uh, but that, that, that's sort of why they ended up in the non-league uh, and that came at the wrong time for me because I was 18 I'd been in and around the first team you know, 17 I'd been on the bench in League 2 about 6 or 7 times and just hadn't quite made that breakthrough but the, the year after I was hopeful that, that was going to happen and obviously the club's, club's gone bust and I've ended up in non-league and like I was sort of saying before the, you know, we started the podcast today, my first season on leave, I struggled massively, probably more from a mental aspect than anything, because I've been used to playing full-time football every day. Suddenly I was sitting at home on a Saturday, you know, sitting at home during the week, going to training two nights a week, sort of trying to figure out where where the direction of my life was going to come from. And then I remember with that, sort of, I was going to games and truth be told, I wasn't doing the business life. And you know you you coming from a you from sort of an academy you know an academy system you'd expect to drop into non league and just sort of score twenty goals and then get your move back to the back to the football league and it just doesn't work like that. Um, in the in the summer of 2010, I was about nineteen and I remember thinking I need to either knock this on the head and get a get a proper job or um, I need to you know get me up together. And uh, I was very fortunate. I then went to land Moe in the in the Welsh League, scored seven and fourteen. Got a move to Rill, who we were who we were managed at the time by a guy called Greg Strong. He had a really good career playing for Bolton and Fulham. He was like a mentor, a mentor for me. He just said, "He said, listen, man, with the ability you've got, he said you will be back playing professional football. Let's just have another good season. Keep yourself fit, and uh, sort of sort of trust me." Around this time, I was I started getting offers again to go back into full-time football but in, in football I think it's really important, especially when you're a, uh, you know, a young lad, to, to, to find someone you can trust who's got your best interests and uh, I really believed in, 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 in what strong he was saying and I really trusted him and you know, he played the week in, week out, scored 16 in about 35 games from midfield in the Welsh League and from there I started getting interest again from the football league and I then went into St Morecambe under Jim Bentley, I was 21. And straight away he gave me, you know, he gave me the number ten shirt, which, you know, I thought was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a statement of intent from him because I had no football league experience. Fortunately, I, I did have about 60, 70 seventy non-league games under my belt at that time, which I felt really, really uh, put me in a good position, you know, because I remember coming up against lads who were like 18, 19, 20, who were maybe coming through the reserves or the number twenty ones, and we didn't really have that know-how, which I'd sort of managed to develop playing, you know, playing men's football, non-league football, and. I'd really developed the, the physical side of things as well because something I, I, I really struggled with when I was 17, 18 was I was, I was, I was, I was built like a pepperoni stick. I was, I was skinny-like and I was just getting knocked all over the place. But I ended up during when I was when I was playing non-league, I went and done like a personal training course to try and understand the body and how it works and got my personal training licences and, and I really built my body up in the, in the gym and that helped me going into League 2 because even you know eight nine years ago, League Two was very different to what it is now. It was even more physical. There wasn't much football played on the floor. But I then went into Morecambe. Um, I scored like a, a, a bit of a thirty yarder on my debut, which was against Plymouth away. And then uh, I scored again. Uh, come on against Dagenham and Lebri to replace the so scored again. And straight away, I only had a six month deal at Morecambe, and, and, and you know they, they signed me up to a new deal, which you know, is great and sort of. For a young lad, it gives you a lot of confidence. Um, played plenty of football between then and the end of this season, and then started the 2013 14 season. We, we really got off to a bit of a run, played against Wolves. Uh, I scored the free kick in that game, you know, we beat them live on the telly. But you're a now. free
1: kick specialist, it says on your Wikipedia page. Yeah, you know, I can, you know, I've
0: been known to a few free kicks in my time, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of them. I started, I started really getting confidence then and, you know, getting more getting traction And I think something that I was alluding to before that I probably didn't have as a kid, which you really need. And to be honest with you, it's imperative you want to be successful at the highest level. You've got to have that. Also sheer belief in yourself. And that was something I didn't have. Like I was saying before the podcast, the lads that come through, the Man United, the Chelsea, the Man City, the young lads, they do have a sort of a belief in, in themselves that they should be at the top level. Um, and that was something I, I just didn't have, and it was something i was I was I was developing you know as I was going through and then when i was twenty four I ended up going to Brentford um fantastic for oh, probably the right club at the wrong time because when I went there, we ended up having three managers in five months. I finally um in my last month i I got off in the January transfer window and went up to the spL because I just wasn't getting a look the luck in there. had about twelve midfielders. Ryan, and, did you, um, did you go
1: there? Did you go there when it was under this regime? I know, obviously, the, yeah. The matters, so, but it was so, the guy who owns the club now, who's, who owns Matthew stats, Benham, yeah, stats form so, or whatever he owns a stats company, doesn't he? So he's made his money in, in sort of the you know like the betting world um,
0: basically doing a lot of the stuff based on statistics. Matt, how they they were signing players, they were signing undervalued players, right. Similar, very similar, to like have you seen the film Moneyball? Moneyball, yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very similar to that. Um, so, when I, the year before I, I, was there, he signed Jay Gray from the from the conference. He ended up selling for you know Burnley for six million. Ended up playing the Prem with Watford. When I was there, we had James Tarkowski, the Burnley centre off, You know, he would sign in from Oldham. We had Scott Hogan, who, who went who went to Villa for fifteen million. We signed Ryan Woods from Shrewsbury, a uh, very very good player. You know, we ended up getting Sergi Panos from uh, Liverpool's reserves. We, you know, people we, we, we were getting players from all over the place with a real good Perry Jack O'Connell. Um, he was signed from Blackburn as a young lad. You know, we had, had a couple of good years in the Premier League with Sheffield United. So it was, it was a really good time to be there. But when I went there, we had a manager called Marinus Declusion, he just signed in the summer of 2015. And I knew in pre-season that... As a player, you know when a manager doesn't really have the trust of the of the Jackson room, and knew it just wasn't going to last long life. Um, the, the lads who've been there previously, they they really really liked the the manager, um, Mark Walton, who since since went to Rangers, and um, they they were very much comparing a lot of what he's done to, to what Madness was doing. Um, things like Madness wanted the lads to train at three pm on a Friday to, to, to be a similar time to the Saturday. And, that was just a new
1: concept
0: to a lot of the British lads that didn't quite like. So I just mean, that's Jurgen
1: Klopp thing. We, we do that. We play, if yeah. we've got a night game, we play at eight o'clock, don't we, at night and stuff. Yeah. 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 Ryan, that's sorry, sorry,
2: cool. Ryan, just just a quick one. When you said um, just pre-season, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when you said pre-season, this, this interests me, this type of conversation quite a lot. And when you say <laughs> I wasn't getting a look in, now looking back, if you're honest, is that because you wasn't good enough or you wasn't working hard enough because for me, I'm very black and white, right? So I look at it and I go, "You're even not doing it because you ain't at that level. Yeah, if you yeah. if you're coming off that pitch, giving 110 percent at training, and you're not getting picked, you're not good enough for that level." And 100%. I know it sounds brutal, but I'm very much like oh, that. Actually,
0: and I, 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 you've got to be in football 100. Um, percent For me, so there was a bit of a, a bit of a power dynamic going on at Brentford. So the the, the guy that had really re- really pushed hard for me um, and really wanted the club to sign me, he was sort of getting his nose pushed out a little bit. Um, so there there's definitely a political element to it. Um, in that 100%. sense, true, true, truthfully, if, if I'm looking back on myself, now, I don't know if I, if, I, if I believed at the time that I should be there. Do you know what I mean? In terms of making that step up. Because I'd only come out of non-league a few years before. Um yeah. And look and that was one of the reasons. So, I uh, the next summer, I went to I went and signed in the United States to full English. That was um, and one of the reasons I made that decision to go abroad was I knew mentally I needed a fresh start. I knew as a man, I know, ability. Where I, I still got the just the footage of like training sessions and and this and that. And there's times where I was doing some very very good stuff like. But what I didn't have was that utter belief, if I'm being honest. And that was, if, if I was going to make it at the, you know, at the Championship, Premier League level, I'd have had to have done it at that time because I was 24. Now, it didn't work out. But I knew there was still an opportunity for me to grow on a personal level and that was what I needed. So I remember I went away and it was it was the first time I'd ever really moved away. It was, it was at 24 and then I was like, I need I need something here now to really take myself out of my comfort zone and to find myself, to find who I am as a, as a person, as a man. I went to Canada and I remember I was there for, the, I come for the, the second half of the season. Ended up getting player of the season. One thing I'll, I'll always be very, very grateful to, to Paul Daigleach for is give me that environment to feel appreciated and to grow. And uh, I remember when I, when, I, when, I, when I come back, I remember my mum saying to me, she, said, she told me this a year or two ago. She said, you come back, she said it was like speaking to a different person. He said, you've gone from a boy to a man. And if I had a, my biggest regret in my career and something, you know, I wish I could talk about that conversation with younger players or even to me younger self. I wish I had the mentality I've got now when I was 23, 24, because things would have been different. Because, for example, when I, when I went last season to play in Sweden, I remember, um, the, the, again, there was a similar, similar dynamic in terms of the sporting director wanted, wanted to sign me but the head coach didn't. So I've gone out there on trial and um, after two days, I've just pulled the manager and I've said, listen, are you interested or not? And he said, oh, you know, I'm looking for the number 10 He's going to score goals and, and stuff. You know, I, I, I just fronted him straight up and said, listen, you're bottom of the league you don't need a number 10 who's going to score goals for you. You need someone who's going to run the game from midfield for you. I said, I'm that guy. I said, I guarantee you now if you sign me, you won't get relegated. I had that confidence in myself at 28. Um, wow. And he's, look, he's looked at me like that. I said, stop playing me as a number 10. Play me as a number eight. Um, so we'd done it the next day in training and uh, I ran the show. He signed me. The team had won three out of 17. We ended up winning eight out of the next 13 and stayed up. He loved me. And did you know, they desperate to bring me back uh, for the next season. But I didn't have that confidence in my ability to back myself when I was twenty three, twenty
1: four. 24. Ryan, and can I my, just ask that's you, you, is yep. you, is that only something that can come through life experience? Or is that something that can be coached almost, you had a, um, a psychologist, could they give that confidence to you? Or do you think it's just something that you can either get, you have to get through life experience? See, this is something I, I, I'll be really
0: interested to to get Scott's opinion on because you know when, when he's seen Harvey come through the academy system at a young age, I remember looking at the at the lads who you know I remember playing against you know your Chelseas, your Man Uniteds, and all that. When you when used to step onto the pitch with them as a kid, they used to kind of themselves different. It was like they had this sort of expectation of themselves that they knew they would they were at that level, and then. For me, that was just something I had to develop at a later, you know, a later date, and that, that's probably what definitely cost me e- earlier on in my career. Um, but some lads just have it at a young age. Like I'm intrigued, you know, to to, to sort of hear Scott's perspective. For example, when Harvey went on loan to, to Blackburn, he was 17; he's still a young boy going into a man's dressing room in the Championship. You know how how that was for the you know for the young lad. Because I know when I was 17, I remember being in in and around the first team at Chester and um, these lads were like the experienced pros at 30 32 who were men and i remember feeling like a little boy do you know what i mean at, at that age it was it was interesting but for me personally it was i guess everyone's on their own individual journey you know and i'm very grateful that i've finally learned them lessons um albeit probably a little bit too late i mean i've learned them to the point now where i can you know the last couple of teams i've been to I've walked straight into the dressing room and I've known straight away what I'm gonna to bring to the table. I know what I'm good at as a player, what I'm not good at as a player. Um so that was interesting. I mean, playing in Brazil was a was a really good experience for me as well. Um, how did it, that come you know, about? Good. So basically, I was doing really well in the in the in the USA League, and in the US, there's a lot of South American players here, a lot of Brazilians, a lot of Argentinians. So a lot of the scouts are sort of are sort of watching you know them leagues and one of, the, one of the the agents, um, so Rafinha, who used to play for Bayern Munich, he's got his own agency, uh our, our thirteen football. and his his main agent, um, Ricardo, he called me. He got my number through one of the, the Brazilian lads who played for for our team and said, Listen, I know it's a little bit sort of a little bit out there, but I really like the way you play. I think you'll really suit um, Brazilian football. It's fancy fancier. He said, I'm I'm just moving a, a striker to a team called Paysandu. Uh, called Walter he won the the UEFA Cup with Porto a few years before you know it he, he was, was quite a big name in Brazilian football and uh, I said yeah I'll do it just thought, why not I was 26 at the time and I thought I'm just going to go for it and I went out there absolutely love the football the, the football like uh, the, you could find a world-class player just had them a rock in Brazil you know what I mean the lads are out there bare feet on the streets all the time incredible, but where I was living was a very, it was difficult to live, you know, I was sort of in like a gated like community, couldn't really leave because they were like, oh, you might get kidnapped and this, and that. like, oh, okay, and so listen, I could, I could go on and on about that, but I, you know, I've got to be a little bit careful what I say um, with that, but in terms of the football, it was fascinating to me, because in, in every league I've played in, England, um, Scotland, America, if you press teams, you're going to do really well. But in Brazil, you can't press teams. You've got to sit off them. One, because the heat, but two, all the players are that technically good, the press resistant. So if you go off and, and you get beaten, the press, they're going to be at you on the, the bill basis, cut right through the team. So you've got to be very intelligent as, as to when you press and when you sit back. And it becomes a lot more tactical up than, than I anticipated it would be. Um, it's funny, one of the other played with, there, Pedro Carmona, he was actually in the figure youth team with um, Bobby Firmino. So we you know, we knew him and there was a couple of the lads within the Premier Shuff team come through with Gabriel Jesus. You know, those lads there who played for Brazil under 21s and you know it was a very good level leg like, and it was a it was a it was a time I'm really grateful for. What wasn't great was the, they he hadn't really signed an English or a European play before, so they didn't realise that I, I got over there, I signed, didn't realise he needed the visa for me. We were scrambling around to try and get this visa. To, so I couldn't play initially and I've had to fly to um Foz do Iguaçu, on the border of Brazil and Argentina, fly out the country because you'd have to leave the country to get the visa. So I flew from Belém to São Paulo, São Paulo to Foz do Iguaçu, spent a week there trying to get this visa. Flew back. By the time I got back with my visa, the deadline had finished, so I couldn't sign. So I'm literally training for like, well, I'd sign, but he couldn't med- officially register me for, the, for like the tournament, so I missed out on being able to play. And after about four months, and again maybe part. this is partly my fault but my head had just fell off like I'm training every day can't leave the, the apartment I basically completed Netflix at this point I had no life and I was like listen I'm just, I'm just getting back home here like this is I'm, I'm done life." and so I, had to, I remember they announced they announced that I'd signed a new contract because at the time I still had Instagram and I was getting like fans there were nuts like and you got loads of like Brazilian followers and me, me whole Instagram was just Portuguese comments and stuff and they announced that I'd signed a new contract so people were, you know they were saying like parabens congratulations and I was like what are people saying congratulations for then I went on Twitter and the club had announced I'd signed a new deal which I hadn't and um, I, I was literally go, getting ready to go in this was on the Sunday to go in on the Monday to say listen I want to go home like I'm done <laughs> I said you, you, you sort of botched me visa you know getting paid late this and that it was just I was, I was, I was struggling. Like that was probably one of the hardest times in me creative. Being honest, I mean, I love the football. The Brazilian lads are amazing, great people. so fun. They're Bedjo, you know, fantastic. If you could have took that that team and, and that situation and that football into into a different time or a different place, I would probably spend the rest of me life. I loved it, and the football suited me. But from an administration side and, and that sort of, I constantly felt like I was banging my head on a brick wall. Like so, that was that was a challenge.
1: Like. Just, um, I mean, <clears throat> let's go back to Scott. You know, what, what, what would your response be to what Ryan said there about you know Harvey when he, w- he went to when he was a kid and the confidence aspect and the mentality aspect and and all that?
2: To be honest, we, we were, um, when he first started out, obviously, you can't sign two year under nine for an academy, so you did a pre academy. We were at Chelsea, we were at um Fulham, QPR were interested which is obviously by far a, a big drop down from both of them. Um, so in the end, we ended up signing for QPR. You know, I like the guys that, are, as Ryan says, there's a lot of politics going on in football and that's something for another day because it's, it's, it's just brutal. And I'm sure story will be told at some point by me when the time's right. But yeah, anyway, I ended up signing for QPR or Harvey did. And I went down there and the three weeks before he signed, I went down to see who their best players were in his age group in the year above. So I just done my own stuff to just study all them players myself before Harvey turned up. And then um, look, my message for Harvey is, I don't care what you do, but you work 110%. There's no excuses not to work hard. Okay? Um But when you go on that pitch, it doesn't matter if you're on there with Messi and Ronaldo. As soon as you cross that line, you're the best player on the pitch. End of discussion. As soon as you come back off the pitch, you never talk about yourself. If someone wants to talk about you, let them good or bad, you just keep your head down. And that's always been my message to him: 110% work rate and and quiet. But when you go on that pitch, you play with a swagger and you show everyone how good you are. Um, And we went to QPR. um, In the end, he outgrew that. So I ended up speaking to the academy director, he was playing up a year but he was like the best player up it, it, was, it just got ridiculous it was, it, it was very poorly run at the time um, and then we had an opportunity to go to another Premier League club and then Fulham came in and the reasons why we didn't sign for Fulham was, well look, I won't go into that right now but we didn't sign for Fulham. but And then we were convinced to go back to Fulham. And then we went to training. And we were due to go to the other Premier League club that I was keen to take Harvey to. And Harvey said, could I sign for Fulham? Because he knew a couple of the boys uh, under 11s. So, you know, we, we signed for Fulham. Again, looking at their best couple of players very quickly at, a couple of years later. Yeah, you know, I'm, when I'm watching games, I'm not necessarily watching Harvey because I know what he can do. I'm watching all the other players. So if we play Man City or Chelsea, I'm watching all them players, watching their best players and seeing what what the levels are because Man City and Chelsea have the best academies in the country. So you're looking at always the levels when you play a team from Europe, looking at their best players, just keep an eye on everything and doing your research as best you can because you need to know what the levels are. And at the time, before we went back to Fulham, we went back to Chelsea and... They wanted a six-week trial and we can do six weeks. We've done two weeks. I spoke to the academy director at the time and his words to me were technically he's in our top three players. But when we go to 11-a-side in the full-size pitch, I don't think he'll be able to cover the ground, right, because of his size. Yo, same old bullshit. Is knocking about, that one? Listen, listen, this is this is brutal, right? And and there's there's so many brutal stories I could tell you, you'd you'd laugh your head off, right? So I was like, look, I don't agree with you, but I respect your opinion. That's fine. We went away. Signed for Fulham. And, you know, the rest of his history. Listen, I've had situations where I've had comments about Harvey's hair. About his hair. When he when he was at Fulham, it, I got a phone call saying Harvey's doing really well. We'd like him to train with the first team tomorrow. Is there any chance you can cut his hair? And I said I said are you fucking joking me? These are the words. I said are you fucking joking me? I said he's been asked to play with the first train with the first team because of his football ability, not his hair. So the answer is no. And I've always said to Harvey be a leader not a follower. Yeah, that's really... so
0: important. If you go in mind and just jump in this, but it's so important that when harvey has been coming through as a young lad, that that he's had that sort of strong influence from yourself, who will support him and back. And because I've seen, you know, when I was coming through as a kid, I've seen so many young lads who had such ability, but they were sort of institutionalised by the game, tried to get pigeonholed, or you know, you, you you've got to follow, you've got to follow our rules and do exactly as we say. You know, what's wrong with being an individual? At the end of the day, your hair is not going to affect your football ability in any way, shape, or form. Who you are as a person off off the pitch—that's your responsibility and your identity. So what I mean, like you said, what he's doing on the pitch is the most important thing. So I, you know, I think it's been such, you know, Harvey. I don't know if Harvey realizes this or not, but having someone like yourself there, who sort of. Be that strong source, support and foundation for us. without without knowing the lad, I know that's probably massively been such a huge factor in, in, in helping them. Like, because you like like you said, you know what a fight, mate? It's ruthless in kids football. Yeah, like ruthless. It is.
2: Mate, I was, I've been at training and people have been at training, pouring down with rain under umbrellas, and coaches are running around going, "Oh no, oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Just let you know, we're letting your kid go, and you're going, "What the hell?" and the parents are losing the plot actually during a training session and screaming at a kid the other side of the pit saying come on we're going and the kids come off crying what's going on, what's going on, you've been released you know it's, it's just I mean you would have seen it as well it's, it's just the most brutal thing and there's, there's such a lack of honesty and look the reality is that if you're one of the top two or three kids you, you sort of get looked after and yeah, the yeah, rest are a number that. the amount of parents you speak to uh, I, I want to say something, but I can't because they might think I'm causing trouble and just let him go. A lot of parents feel like that in academies. It's it's just, and no one wants to lose the next best thing. So it's about you as a parent being strong. And I've always stayed in control of everything. Every decision has always been our, our decision. It's never been the club's, even though it's a one-way street when you sign an academy form and a scholarship, but. I've always stayed in control of it because I'm the only one that's going to do what's best for Harvey.
0: How how did you sort of as a I know from from my parents' perspective they didn't really know you know much about the academy systems and this and that when I was coming through as a kid how did you sort and of, sort of know how to navigate that world did, did you have experience playing yourself or did you like
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I played a lot when I was younger. Football's been my love, you know, it always has been. But I'm not, you know, I speak to a lot of people. And there's nowhere on God's earth we're going to be pushed around by anyone. At the end of the day, yeah. Harvey and Harvey's career is the only thing that matters. And and with him being a young lad, he's not going to be strong enough or he's a good lad, by the way. But he's not going to be uh, 14, 15, knowledgeable enough to make a decision. So it's my responsibility to make that for him. Now, if I make mm-hmm. a mistake, I take that on the chin. At the moment, every decision I've made has worked out. Touch wood, it continues to do that, but... Yeah, you know, the most important thing throughout this, you know, you just—it's—it's it's hard because some parents don't, you know, they're—they're they're not really into football or or whatever, or they're single parents, or they haven't got the time, whatever. But look, so I've always taken control, and and you know, people ask me all the time, "What are you so pretty? You must be so proud. He plays for the club you support and everything." Yeah, but the proudest thing is the fact that he's remained humble and grounded. And he, he hasn't changed. He has not changed, and we won't allow it to. Not under this roof, because. He's so got, I,
0: I, 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 at what age did you realise that you had to play it on your hands?
2: I would say we were down at Brighton Beach, and he would have been three or maybe four. Yeah. And there's a wall down there, and you put the footballs. There's a wall full of holes and you get the footballs and you basically you can put a ball through like that but if you go like that you can't get the ball through because your fingers are in the way that's how tight it is and um, it was like three shots for a fiver to win something I can't remember what it was and I said to the guy I said that's bloody impossible mate you know no chance so I said I'll tell you what if you give me four balls for a fiver and he can take the fourth shot I'll have a go and he went yeah go on then so I had my three shots and I was close to be fair on a couple I was a bit gutted Mm -hmm.
1: And I, said,
2: I said, hey, Hans, just have a go at this. Put the ball down and me and his mum were standing there and he just laced it straight through. And oh, I know man. there's a bit of luck involved in that, don't get me wrong, but the strike and you just, it's one of those moments where you look at each other and go, wow, unbelievable.
0: There's something I find really interesting when I, when I watch Harvey play is like like I love to analyze the game like that. That's something I've always loved to do. I, I love the intricacies of it from a tactical perspective and a technical perspective. Now one thing that, that I really like about his game, and again, I'm not trying to put any hype on him or nothing like that or compare him to but in terms of stylistically, if you look at the way he dribbles, it's very similar to like a, a messy type of style where every step he take, you touch the ball. Now I know from sort of playing against players who dribble like that it's it's so hard to defend because you can change direction and it's like when they're playing, it's like they're reacting off your defensive movement. Whereas somebody it sounds so small, but somebody who takes two steps when they dribble, as opposed to touching the ball on every step, defensively I can read their movements like a lot a lot easier. That yeah. sort of dribbling technique where, where where you're sort of making them calculate decisions so quickly in in the movement pattern. It's it's I I don't know if, I mean, you you correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's something I don't know if you can teach. Do you know what I mean? It's something that kids, just certain kids can sort of just just do that. You know what I mean? Is that something you you work on with them as a kid? Yeah, we
2: worked on stuff from the time he was like three, four, five, six, seven, you know, and upwards. We constantly worked on stuff. Even when he was at these academies, we'd go to training, we'd come home, we'd work in the garden. Yeah, it'd be absolutely pissing down with rain, freezing cold and, and I would have started work at 3, 4 in the morning just to be able to get home to get him training. And sometimes I'd have a T-shirt on and I'd be standing outside in the rain and all the parents would be indoors in the canteen having a cup of tea. And they'd be going, you nuts. And I'd go, no, because how can I make something better that I'm not watching? I've got to be able to watch this so I can understand what he's doing wrong. So we would go away and work on things. You know, I'd have certain things like, I know it sounds daft and a lot of people, some people for it, some people aren't, but we have the ladders. So sports direct. You used to get a ladder and it used to have seven squares in. So I used to buy three of them. OK, so I'd get him in the garden, for example, and I'd get him stand on his left foot and I'd just throw the ball to him. And he'd have to volley it back to me with his right foot and then hop into the next one on his left foot. And even if he got to 18 and he put his other foot down, it, I'd make him start again. Start again. And then I'd do the other one. And we used to have, even at seven or eight, we used to have one kg weight on his legs, on his ankles. And at first, he'd be like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I said, you'll get used to it. just you know." Because I was just worried about that explosive speed. So okay. we were working on stuff like that. So you put the one kg and you get him dribbling through cones, you get him doing the ladders. And all of a sudden, three months later, you take him off and... Explosive, Ryan. and things so like touches, little touches. That's what I always say. You know, when he was he first started playing for a team, when he was six and we had one game where he was right. He was sort of if you imagine the six yard box on the corner, mm-hmm. he was near enough between that and the goal line to go out for a goal kick. And he's tried shooting at the near post. And I've gone mentor him. I said, "What are you doing, mate? What are you doing?" And he's like, oh, "I'm trying to score." I said, "Well, that's just stupid, isn't it?" So I got him home. We had a 16 by seven foot goal in the garden. I stood on the post. I didn't move. And I put the ball down 20 times. I said, I won't move. Smash it as hard as you can at goal. And I think he put one or two in out of, out of 20. I said, so what's the point in that then? So you can beat three players, do that, and it's a goal kick. Or, or, or whatever, it's pointless. Why don't you square it to a teammate to tap in the goal? And people always say to me, oh, he, he doesn't, throughout his career, oh, I'm not sure if he scores enough. But he assists more than he scores. We were playing Spurs under sixteen and a ball came over. And as it came over, he was at the back post and he was inside six yard box. The keepers come diving across, defence come diving across. He's just side foot volleyed it back across goal to the striker. The keeper and everyone's going that way. The striker's got like ten minutes to do what he likes, tapped in an empty net. And that's the difference. You're doing magic, magic stuff that people don't expect. What,
0: what, one question I've got for you there is, I know when I was younger, when I was around under 13s, under 14s, being a smaller player on the pitch, I found it them, them two years to be quite, quite challenging you know, from a physical aspect because some of the kids were like massive, like 6 foot and 14. Did Harvey ever experience any difficult years when he's coming through in terms of the physicality or when he's been pushed up in age or, or anything like that?
2: No, I, t- I, t- I took it out of his game straight away. We, when he was 14, he was playing under-18s, and when he was 15, he was playing 23s. And the first under-18 game, obviously on the way over there, I know he was playing, we've gone over there, and I said, halves, any 50-50 challenges, you'll be lucky if you get away with one out of 10. You're going to get smashed <laughs> straight on your ass, right? Don't even think about it. Get the ball, within three yards of the player, move the ball and go and get it again. Go and get involved in a battle because you ain't going to win them. But you, you're a much better footballer than the other player, but you ain't going to win a physical battle. Don't get involved in it. So he hits the ball and he's just popping it off. If, if you watch him, like, for example, and I'll ask a few years later because he's 17 at Blackburn, very physical, the championship. Very physical. <laughs> very, very much. I said, why do, why do you need to get involved with people who are going to kick you and put you on your ass? Move the ball. And if, if you look at how many times you got fouled in a game where people look like they wanted to have a niggle at him, he's popped the ball off too quick. As soon as they got within two yards of him, the ball's gone most of the time. So he, he's moving the ball. You, you're taking it out of the game. Take the physicality out of the game. There's no point in it.
0: You mentioned there when he went to Blackburn.
2: How was, how, how was that for him? As, you know, at the end
0: of the day, he's still a 17-year-old boy going into a man's dressing room, which ability-wise, I think you know anyone who watched any of the, the, the championship pilots that you would see, was he was up there ability-wise. But in terms of, mentally as a, as a young boy going into the, a man's dressing how, how did he cope with that or as a, as a parent what was that like
2: for them straightforward honestly it's, yeah. not, it's not a problem we had a choice of a few, few look it's, it's always in football especially for me at uh, a younger age and, and again this is just my experience my, my opinions you've always got to be pushing right your whole career you can never think you've made it right so we're, we're okay. Liverpool do you want to be playing 23s? He's sort of outgrown it. There's not really a challenge there. And so you go, right, we had a choice of a few championship clubs. Um, we chose Blackburn, so he didn't have to be away from home. Right? We've done Blackburn. And it, it's about it's about pushing him to see m- m- what I would advise any parent in the academy system to ask yourself this question if and when my boy is good enough to get an opportunity, is a platform going to be there for them? Is someone going to say, there's your opportunity. You show me how good you are. You take it. It's down to you. Yep. Because a lot of people talk about it and it never happens. So it's about having an opportunity. Blackburn, give him an opportunity and a platform. It's down to Harvey to go and perform. And I said to him, like right, you go to Blackburn, make sure you're the first one into training Every day, you're the last one to leave because people who won't know you will think, who's this lad from Liverpool? Who do you think he is, right? So you go in there and you work harder than everyone else and you earn the respect to them people, not as a footballer necessarily, as a person.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, once you've got that respect, the relationships just blossom and build and they trust you. Know what
0: you know what it's like if a lad's coming from Liverpool to a black man, the lads will be looking and oh, is he big time? Is he this or that? But when they see a humble, a humble kid coming through who's working harder than anyone else, they're going to go the extra mile for them to you know, look after them and, and stuff like that. That, that, that. That's great to hear that way. Like.
2: Yeah, it's important. It's important. Too many parents get carried away with it, living the dream that's not there. Just keep your feet on the ground, work hard.
0: So I, I noticed obviously when there was a Blackburn, you know, he was, he was playing a lot of, of his stuff on the wings and stuff like that. And when he's coming through earlier on this season, um, when he you know started at his chance at Liverpool, he was playing in the in the three in the middle of the park. Has he played there before in his in his career, or is that a new position for him?
2: Uh it's something that we've always sort of pushed. Again, when he was at Fulham, yeah. and I used to have discussions about all the time I was I was very there was a player there that could only really play the number ten. And I wanted yeah. Harvey to have an opportunity there, but I think they loosely and cheaply referred him to the next Ryan Sessignon, which Pissed me off beyond belief, right? It just annoys me. Why, well, you know, he's not anyone. He's Harvey Elliott. Let him crack on, yeah, right? Exactly. So, but again, politics involved, and we know about that. And that's a yeah, story yeah. for another day, right? So, I always wanted him to play there. It never materialised for one reason or another. Um, yeah, so he sort of played there. Um, I think when when we first met Jurgen, Jurgen said, "I see him as an ape." A central player, which was played a part in a little bit of the reason we signed for Liverpool when we had other opportunities because we like the thought of that. Um, yeah, I just I just think in there, and I think he likes it in there, you know. He likes to get on the ball. And as you see him, like, I, I don't like to compare him to any player. If I was going to compare him to anyone, and I, and I really don't really like to, would be like a David Silva type of player he's going to score a few goals but he's certainly going to assist a lot more than he scores and he'll it, create chances. So
0: that was the thing I, I noticed with him myself personally was the first thing that struck me was his dribbling ability and his, and his you know his close control but when I've seen him play earlier this season as a number 8 in the, in the Liverpool system which obviously I think people who watch the game will see it often number 8 can come out and make overloads on the right you know with Salah coming inside and Trent and stuff like that Really? So he's so comfortable. But, but what really sort of caught my attention was his vision. Like I didn't, he, he can really see a past, you know what I mean? And having the confidence and the bravery to, to try and play that class. I remember one of the, um one of the coaches, it was Lee Carsley at Brentford. Um, you know, we played in the Premier League. I remember him saying to me, he said to me, who's the best best midfielder in the Premier League's history? I said, Steven Gerrard. We went, yeah. He said, what was his pass completion? He said it was never more than 79%. And he said, yours shouldn't be either. Because he said, if you're not trying them passes where you can give the ball away, you're not being brave enough and you're not risking it enough. Mm. He said, you need to be, you need to try and be a game changer in the middle of the pitch. And that was something I noticed with, with Harvey earlier this season I've watched him play. Because that, that was probably the first time I'd ever seen him play full 90s. Um, and I watched him in there. And he, he was trying them passes and he had the vision to see it and the ability to execute it. And that was when that was when I thought, Oh my god, we've got a little bit of a player on our hands here, like, like that was that, that was nice to see. And very similar to like you said, was David um, that silver. And the, the, the interesting thing that he spoke about that silver to him, I'm I'm friends with uh, Stephen Island who used to play for Manchester City. And he was telling me when David Silver first come to, to to City, he said the first couple of months he said, we were looking at each other in training thinking, like, what have we signed here? Because because of the physicality of, of him coming from the Spanish league, he said he just wasn't doing it. But he said we could see there was a little bit to his game where we were like, "Yeah, he's got something." And he said, "Mate, he's just turned into to be like City's probably best player the last ten years." You know what I mean? And you know, I think speaking as a Liverpool fan now, and if we can have a David Silver on our hands for the next ten years, I think it's only going to put us in a great position. Like, so no, that was uh, that was interesting for me.
1: Like, yeah. I'm still here, by the way. Just enjoy yourselves, yeah. Welcome to the podcast, (laughs) Gav. (laughs) Oh, listen, I'm going to wrap this up, boys. But listen, we'll do this again, definitely. Um, So, you know, thanks very much for your time. If you're watching this on uh, YouTube, um, make sure you subscribe. Give us a little share on your social media, and um, we'll we'll see you again. We'll get the lads back again for another chat. But, boys, thanks very much. Cheers, Ryan. Pleasure, mate. Lovely. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Scott. Cheers, Gav. Cheers.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.